You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. So you created each character as a way to deal with your one big regret. Yeah, the girl that got away. Look, do yourself a favor, Brody. Don't wait. Because all the money, all the women, even all the comic books in the world, they can't substitute for that one person. I don't know all the comics in the world. Trust me, true believer. Well, good talking to you. Keep up all the good work. You keep reading them. I'll keep writing them. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise one movie at a time. And uh, we currently are looking at the Viewisk Universe series of films. What I mean by that is movies directed by Kevin Smith featuring the Jay and Silent Bob characters. We're doing a Viewisk Universe, uh, which I think is a little bit loose definition of a franchise because it was voted as what our listeners wanted the most on a recent poll. we got a website at SequelCast.com, or you can check us out at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. With me is Thrasher. Hello, everybody. Hey, Thrasher. How, have you, how has life been treating you this past week? It's, uh, it's, been, a, uh, it's been a busy week. We've had some terrible weather. Uh, I've been scrambling to... Uh, I've been producing videos for a Kickstarter uh, that uh, Skirmish Republishing is doing that I'm involved with, and I've been running myself ragged getting uh, video content together for that, uh, in, including our, our goal of since the, in the last five days of the Kickstarter, our goal was to ha- or my goal was to have one new video every day. Wow! And uh, that uh, was a, a much bigger investment of time and effort than I expected, but I've learned a lot, and uh, it's it's working out for us. Isn't it funny that even just like, oh, a two-minute video, that's nothing, takes far more time than you think it would? Well, because it's, it's, I guess with me, it's the editing that makes it take yep. a long time. Yep. I'm very, very perfectionist on editing. Right. Cool. Um, uh, uh, it, it, this will be out after the, the Kickstarter closes, but feel free to check it out. It's a Swords of Coasts. It's a uh, sword and sorcery campaign setting for your tabletop role-playing game. Is there a website where they can find more about that? Uh, just search Swords of Coast on Kickstarter or go to uh, skirmisher.com where uh, the, the, the company website will be putting up more content there uh, once the Kickstarter wraps. Great. And speaking of websites, you know, you can go to sequelcast.com. And, can uh, you? Yeah, you can. We got a few uh, sponsors over there. We're an Amazon Marvelous. affiliate. So what that means is if you go to sequelcast.com and Scroll down a little bit, you'll see the headline, Buy a Movie and a List of Amazon Things. If next time you want to shop at Amazon.com, you just click on one of the things there and just do your normal shopping. Uh, we get a cut of that, and every little bit helps. Uh, we also got some Google ads on there. You can donate to us via PayPal. And you can also listen to SequelCast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It's, uh, it's an app for your smartphone, but you can also listen to it on your desktop or laptop computer. 
and you can listen to podcast streaming without having to wait for all the downloading. And you can listen to all the Sequel Cast shows, including Sequel Cast, Sequel Commentary, and the Sequel Cast specials over at Stitcher. If you, you can also sign up at stitcher.com slash sequelcast and have Sequel Cast automatically audited, added as one of your favorites. Yeah, check out the uh, our most recent audio commentary in Beverly Hills Cop 3. Right, the most recent sequel commentary episode. It's a a sequel a lot of people, you know, don't aren't crazy about. But with Beverly Hills Cop, uh, in the news recently, Eddie Murphy has been talking about trying to do it as a TV show where it'd be about Axel Foley's son becomes the Beverly Hills Cop and Eddie Murphy would cameo on the show. And they just got a uh, an agreement with CBS to uh, a commitment for a pilot at least. So that doesn't mean the pilot's ever going to air on TV necessarily, but it's one step in the right direction. And I think Beverly Hills Cop as a TV show could work really well. Um, I'd be curious who's they, who they cast as Eddie Murphy's son and if it actually gets picked up in the, you know, the fall season next year. Would you watch a Beverly Hills Cop show, Thrasher? I'd watch the pilot and yeah. I'd give the first episode or two a chance, but... Just knowing the way I watch television, if it hasn't won me over then, then I'll probably let it sit for a year. If it makes it to a second season, I'll check out the second season. But I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm not sure when the last time I saw a TV show based on a movie that I really, really liked. Oh, and coming up, they're doing a TV show uh, based on the character of Hannibal Lecter from the um, various novels by Thomas Harris. Huh. That's sort of like a, an origin story sort of thing with him working with a detective um, that was featuring a Dren Dragon. But we're not talking about sequel news on sequel <laughs> cast. We're talking about Mallrats, written, released in 95, so just a year after Clerks was released theatrically in 94, Mallrats 95, written and directed by Kevin Smith, with cinematography again by David Klein. The music is by Ira Newborn, who did music for John Hughes films such as Weird Science and Sixteen Candles. Uh, off an estimated budget of $6 million, according to Internet Movie Database, Mallrats, in the U.S. at least, only grossed $2.1 million. It, um, it did not do as well compared to its budget as Clerks, for whatever reason. And it stars such uh, actors as Jason Lee, Jeremy London, Shannon Daughtery, Claire Forliani, Ben Affleck, Joey Lauren Adams, uh, Renee Humphrey, Jason Mewes, Kevin Smith, and a cameo by Clerks' uh, Brian O'Halloran. And of course, Stan Lee for all you true believers. Oh yeah, sure. I think this is probably we'll get to it when we talk to it later. But I think it's one of Stan Lee's better appearances in the movies. Well, he's actually given something to do as opposed right. to a lot of his Marvel cameos, where he he just kind of gets one line, uh, doesn't really move the plot forward. Although he did save that little girl. He did, and uh, they've gotten to think a bit more clever with some of the cameos recently in the Marvel films. And if you want to hear us talk about some of the Marvel films, if you go to SequelCast.com and check out this the SequelCast special uh, called Marvel Movie Madness, I believe, we talk about a whole host of uh, various uh, films based on Marvel comic books. Now, can I say something uh, right off the bat with the cast in this movie? Yeah. In my mind, Janine Garofalo is in this movie. Now, I know she's not. No, she's in Dogma. Whenever I see this, I just huh. imagine there being a Gene Garofalo-shaped hole. I had a chance to see Janine Garofalo do stand-up live in Portland, Oregon as part of the Bridgeport Comedy Festival in uh, 2012. So, and that was really neat. Like, I hadn't seen her on TV in a while, 
and she's lost a lot of weight and has had a lot of tattoos. Um, and, uh, and she was pretty funny. It was just, I don't know. It was neat. Like at, with all the other comedians that come to that festival, she was one of the big names. So it was great to get to see her live. How was the set? It was good. I don't think it was my absolute favorite, but it was funny. I mean, a part of the nature of at least uh, this comedy festival is it's more like a showcase. You go and you see a bunch of comedians and each one gets 10 minutes on stage. And if you see comedians, you know, there'll be more than one comedians who do different sets at different theaters and so forth. And so you see repeats and oftentimes I'll do like the same set consistently throughout the weekend. And um, that that can be a bit frustrating, but I mean, it's understandable. Stand-up comedy is hard work just coming up with 10 minutes, you know, let, let alone 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah, dying is easy. Yeah, dying is easy. Comedy's hard. So, but so when did you first see Mallrats, Thrasher? Uh, I think I first, uh, Mallrats, it was, at least for most of the people I grew up with and most of the people I went to college with, uh, yet another cultural touchstone that yeah. just passed me by. I did not see the movie when it came out. I don't think I saw it until actually, now that I think about it, I don't think I saw it until the same year I saw Clerks. I borrowed a copy, a VHS copy from a friend of mine uh, in college uh, my first year there and uh, and watched it up in the dorm room. Wow. Uh, so I came into this pretty late. <laughs> yeah, for me, I came into it not right when it came out, but you know, around when I was starting to get into the internet, probably around like ninety. Five or ninety six, I had rented Clerks, and I had you know went and rented his, uh, Kevin Smith's next film, Mallrats. But then for some reason, I did not rent Chasing Amy until several years later when I bought it on DVD. And Mallrats was, uh, I think, the very first DVD I ever bought when I got a DVD player huh. in nineteen ninety nine. That's when DVD players cost four hundred dollars. The very next year, their prices were dropped to two hundred dollars. <laughs> well, I, I at the at that time I just watched DVD on my uh, computer. The first uh, DVD I ever yeah. got was the complete uh, Bubblegum Crisis, the original series. Oh, the anime, right? Yep. yep. So, was it just the English dub, or did it have both English and Japanese? Oh, it had uh, dubbing and subtitles. Oh, okay. There's some of those early DVDs, you know, it was kind of iffy with what was on there. So, no, still got them. They're pretty good. Yeah. I, I always liked an old anime called Dominion Tank Police. Oh, classic! You ever read the manga? No. There's a couple. There's a couple of different manga. The anime is actually the original anime. There's two anime series. The original anime right. is actually supposed to be a prequel to the manga that it's based on. A uh, really fascinating story. Oh, I have to check that out. But we're not talking about anime and manga and weeaboos. We're talking about Mallrats. We'll do a special on that one day. Sure, I bet. No, I bet there's some way we can do a sequel cast special on anime. I guarantee it. Um, so, I mean, you know, uh, Mulrats was Kevin Smith's first big studio film. He had a much bigger budget than he had for, for Clerks. And I'll say this right off the bat. Yeah. I don't see any of that budget on the screen. I mean, it's set in a whole mall. Clerks was set in a convenience store. But... So, so right, right off the bat, you didn't need to build any sets. No. They had to make up signs for all the stores for uh, copyright reasons. You couldn't have Cinnabon in there without paying Cinnabon money and so forth. Well, no, Cinnabon pays you money, then it's product placement. Fair enough. Um, they should have thought about that while making this movie. 
So this movie was the first film Jason Lee ever starred in. And he plays Brody, one of the leads in the film. And he started out as a as a skateboarder. And um, I, think he, I think he's okay in this movie. He's in a lot of later Kevin Smith stuff. Listeners might know him better from the TV show My Name is Earl. That was on for several years. I mean, this, he shows a lot of a lot of promise in this. I mean, frankly, uh-huh. I I love Jason Lee as an actor. I think he's brilliant in Dogma. I think he's brilliant in My Name Is Earl. I think he's brilliant in The Incredibles. Yeah, as the bad guy, right? Yep, Syndrome. <laughs> and uh, another lead in the film is uh, T. S. Quint, just referred to as T. S., played by Jeremy London, who was uh, on the TV show Party of Five, that was popular at the time. And, uh, but I've never seen that TV show, so if, like Mallrats was the first thing I ever saw him in. I've I've only seen parodies of Party of Five. I've never seen yeah. an actual episode. So I'd, what do you think of uh, Jeremy London as Quint as a TS? Uh, I I guess I don't see much of it because the, when I think of this movie, all I really remember is uh, Jason Lee, yeah, uh, Jay and Silent Bob, and. Uh, Oh hell! Uh, the the guy who played uh, uh, Principal Strickland in Back to the Future. Uh, drawing a blank there. Uh, he's the he's the guy that eats the uh, the pretzels. Isn't he the same guy, or am I am I totally off on that? Um, let me let me look that up while you keep on talking there for a second. Okay, yeah, I guess th- this the film this particular film it it does not leave much of an impression on me only because as I said with with clerks uh when I look at clerks I see a bunch of sketches and skits and scenes that are just kind of put together and packaged as a movie but when I look at Mallrats I see a film that's kind of all over the place there's all right. these different things going on and I don't feel they gel as one cohesive movie so what was the movie you thought that character was from uh back to the future as uh, Strickland nope that's not the same actor Oh, my mistake. But, I mean, the actor that plays the part of Svenning is uh, Michael Rooker, who he was in the Schwarzenegger film The Sixth Day. He had a, He's had a small part in uh, The Walking Dead in the first season, and he's supposed to come back for season three. Excellent. As Merle Dixon. Uh, he was in, uh, what was it called, like, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or something? Of classic. Yeah, that was right. Yeah, Henry Portrait. Yeah, I was right. So... That's probably that was the first thing he broke out in, but right, um, intense actor there, and um, yeah, Ben Affleck is in this film in a small part. It's funny to see how young he is in this film, but I think you're right. There's something about the uh, Kevin Smith's first film, Clerks, and if you want to hear us talk Clerks, you can go to sequelcast.com or look us up on iTunes, and uh, we covered Clerks in the last episode of the Sequelcast as part of our view in the viewers universe. Clerks, it's black and white, it's grainy, it's uh, filmed, you know, in one compact location, being the convenience store. There's a few stuff at the video store and on the roof, but, I mean, it's mainly at that quick stop uh, convenience store. It feels authentic. It feels raw. It feels real. And with this, they're in a mall. They have more money. It's in color. It's not in black and white. But it feels more cartoony and i think the plot is a bit too busy you have a lot kind of going on here in one film we know what else i think it is 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 that clerks it it, clerks is trying to make a statement and 
the only statement that Mallrat seems to be making is, I can't believe they let me make another movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Mallrats has, has its moments that are pretty funny. I'm kind of a fan of the more cartoonish parts in the film, such as all the Jay and Silent Bob shenanigans. But uh, why don't we go and talk a little bit about the plot? So it starts oh. off where the main characters break up with their girlfriends. Brody, played by Jason Lee, breaks up with his girl. Uh, uh, his girlfriend Renee breaks up with him because he's just sitting around on his bed playing uh, hockey on the Sega Genesis, playing like NHL '94 or whatever on the Sega Genesis, and he won't introduce his girlfriend to his mom and all this stuff. So Renee breaks up with Brody. Meanwhile, T.S. wants to take uh, Brandy, uh, played by Claire Forleani, to Universal Studios uh, to propose to her. But she decides uh, she can't go because she has to stay at home and be a contestant on her father's TV show, Truth or Date. And they get Which into a big... That's right there is really creepy. Yeah, it's kind of convoluted. They don't really... I mean, the Kevin Smith films are always really heavy on the dialogue in a way kind of like Woody Allen films in that if you watch enough Kevin Smith films, you can listen to the dialogue and pick up, oh, this is a Kevin Smith film. Or in the same way with Woody Allen, if you watch a lot of those, you can go, oh, this is a Woody Allen film, just from the the, the timber of the dialogue and, and how the characters talk and stuff. Do you think that's an apt comparison? I th- I think so, although e- even with Woody Allen's most overblown dialogue, it's with Woody Allen, it's always seemed very organic. Uh, with Kevin Smith films, it always feels very scripted. Uh, like Actually, like it's a play, I suppose. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. And also, uh, Kevin Smith's uh, directorial style, he doesn't do a lot of fancy shots. He does a lot of what you'd call two shots, a two-shot, where you have two characters just standing and talking for five minutes, and the camera angle never changes. And um, and actually, there is an extended cut of Mallrats on the more recent DVD release, and I think Mallrats is coming out pretty soon on uh, on Blu-ray. If it's not out already, I, uh, let me, I'll look that up and talk about that in a minute. But the extended cut of Mallrats, the movie's almost half an hour longer, and it takes almost half an hour until they get to the mall. You know, I was going to save this for when we discussed Dogma, but that is that is something that I often find frustrating with Kevin F- uh, Smith's movies, is not that he overshoots, but after he overshoots, what he keeps and what he leaves out. To, to the point where, I mean, there are significant scenes which would make completely different, and sometimes I feel better movies that get left on the cutting room floor. Hmm. I mean, the beginning of Mallrats is this reel, uh, which is, it just came out really recently. Oh, wait, no. It's coming out pretty soon. I'll shut up. This is boring. Listeners don't want to hear about Blu-ray releases, I don't think, <laughs> in the if for North America. Um, region one. I'm sure it's already out in Australia. I think it's been out in the UK, yeah. But we do have a lot of Australian and uh, UK listeners, so hey, welcome. Whatever, I'm I'm babbling. Mall rats, mall rats, <laughs> mall rats. Uh, on the extended cut, it's a big, huge scene where there's a governor's ball, and TS is hanging out with uh, with Brandy on a roof, and he's dressed as a musketeer. He accidentally shoots a weapon. And chaos ensues at the governor's ball, and because of this, uh, 
Renee, or sorry, uh, Brandy's father, uh, Svenning, who's played by Michael Rooker, we talked about earlier. He's the guy with the shaved head. Can't doesn't get funding from the governor because of this shootout that happens at the governor's ball, and that's another reason why he's mad at T.S. But it it all just feels like padding. It's not needed. I mean, I can see why they cut it because you don't see many pay off. No, and you don't see many two hour comedies. Is another point. You know, this movie is an hour and a half. A lot of comedies are even shorter than that for the most part. You want to get to the mall as soon as possible, which is what they do. You know, T.S. and Brody. Bro- their girlfriends broke up with them, so they decided to just bum out at the mall together. Where coincidence, uh, they happen to be filming the Truth or Date show, which is by Brandy's father, Svenning. So they try and get James Silent Bob to destroy the show's stage, and they want to. Ultimately, their goal is to be a part of this TV show, and uh, so T.S. can confront Brandy and declare his love for her. And propose, and stop. Do you do you feel that that's too complicated a setup for this kind of movie? I think so, Thrasher. I think so, because you have besides the characters we've talked about, you have a whole lot of other characters. You have Trish, played by Renee Humphrey, who is a teenage uh, high school high school girl that's uh, writing a book about the male orgasm called like Borgasm or something like that. <laughs> you got. Uh, what do you think of that character? It's, it's I'm kind of perplexed. Oh, the, oh I guess like that that uh, out of all the characters, that seems like the most comedy premise characters. And they don't do and, much with her. Well, the, the, she she only she she she's just there so that there's that underage sex tape later in the movie. And, right. You know, she she shows up, ex- explains her shtick, and then leaves <laughs> until until the end. But it's it's just it. I, I can't imagine that person actually existing. I don't see any core of truth to a high school character having sex with lots of a high school girl having sex with lots of guys, filming it, and then writing a dissertation on the male <laughs> orgasm. It seems like something a a it seems like something that a comedy writer came up with on a coffee break, but not a good coffee break. I mean, looking back at. Uh... Mallrats, one of my favorite scenes in this movie, for whatever reason, is uh, Brody and T.S. encounter the character uh, William, played by Ethan Suplee. And he's this big, hefty guy, and he's obsessed with this magic eye, uh, like, drawing at the mall. And for oh, listeners yeah. that might not know, this was huge in the 90s at malls. You had something called Magic Eye, where it looked like... Um, an abstract kind of gibberish painting, but you stare at it long enough and your eyes kind of go cross-eyed and you see a three-dimensional image pop out. We don't even have to... It's all its all in sort of how you adjust your eyes. If you cross or uncross your eyes slightly, usually you can make the image snap to the fore. But yeah, this, this was a hot, hot novelty item back in the 90s. And in the scene in the movie, there's uh, the character William just stares the whole movie at this thing, and everyone walks by and goes, oh, yeah, it's a sailboat, but he just can't see it. And I remember myself when I was, like, in middle school and this stuff came out, I couldn't see it for the longest time, but when I finally got it, I was so happy with myself. And, I mean, I I remember when I was a kid, I subscribed to Nintendo Power Magazine. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and they had a uh, a special thing in there where if you could name what was in all the magic eye drawings in the magazine, 
and mailed off a, a check for three dollars, you'd have you'd be entered in a sweepstakes to win a free video game. And so I, I figured out what it was and sent had my dad, I guess, write a check for three bucks because I didn't have a bank account at the time, sent it off. And then we found out a few months later that the company that ran that promotion in Nintendo Power was, uh, I guess, somewhat corrupt and the contest was bogus. So oh, everybody dear. got their three dollars back, even though I could figure out it was Yoshi in the Magic Eye in Nintendo Power. Yoshi, Mario's yeah. dinosaur friend. So there's a tangent for you. But I, I just think the Magic <laughs> Eye thing is such a 90s thing. And seeing it in Mallrats where this guy can't see it, this really brought me a lot of laughter. Yeah, it is, it is kind of some some good, like, I guess at the time it was cutting edge, but now it's nostalgic and sweet. Uh, but I, yeah. either way, you can still get enjoyment out of it. Is there anything you like about this movie, Thrasher? Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, Stan Lee. I find him so charming and delightful that he that he just uplifts this movie, especially when he, he gives that heartfelt advice and then adds, answers questions about the Fantastic Four's genitals. Yeah, so I mean, later in the film, T.S. and Brody get kind of thrown out of the mall and get drugs planted on them, and they hand out at a flea market. They see a topless fortune teller. Which, that that is a scene just with some weird, arbitrary weirdness with her third nipple. <laughs> but it's a realistic-looking nipple, I thought. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. But then, of course, <laughs> there's the stinger when they leave, and she pulls, she pulls it yeah. off. It's a prosthetic. But then she starts eating it. Yep. I, I can only assume that was improvised, but it, it seems like... I guess, you know, okay, take that back. I like that moment when the nipple turns out to be fake because it means the character doesn't believe that being a topless fortune teller is enough of a gimmick. That they have to have a third nipple to make it seem more interesting and exotic. Well, sure, I mean, wouldn't you talk about that to your friends? But I guess wouldn't you talk to it to your friends anyway if you say, hey, I saw this fortune teller and she takes off her top and it's 20 bucks. You know? Well, or in this movie, it's, what, $60, right? What? Well, Something I wouldn't like go to a. Uh, well, I guess I guess I I wouldn't go to a fortune teller to begin with, right? Uh, there's only one person I would trust to actually do uh, any kind of fortune telling for me, and he lives in New Orleans, not here. Hmm. So I I don't know. <laughs> Are you talking about and friend he, of the show BJ? Uh, no, actually, it's a, oh, I'm sorry. A, another uh, another friend of mine, uh, okay. John Vice. The uh, and, and the thing the thing and the thing is though he he understands that it's it's a, that there's a level of showmanship involved too you don't just throw down the cards and start reading off a story uh you know you you're 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 trying to you're sort of trying to tell the story of the future hmm yeah i've only had my fortune told once with sort of like tarot cards of animals with a, a girl i was dating briefly when i first moved to portland and she, out of the deck, uh, picked my animal as the squirrel, hmm. which I thought was very odd. It's kind of oh, the yeah, lamest like animal possible. Well, was we that? Learn... Well, I thought you'd be like an otter or something. <laughs> Although, we did all learn from The Simpsons that the happy squirrel is the worst tarot card to draw. <laughs> well played. Uh, oh, hey, Speedwitch, a product I would actually love to get made is a tarot, a tarot deck that's nothing but death cards. That'd be pretty funny. Just just to fuck with people and just, yeah. like, just keep drawing death cards. Then after a while, draw, draw the three of death, draw the death of swords, just keep drawing different decks. <laughs> you should pitch that to Skirmisher Publishing. 
<laughs> you know, it's not a bad idea. Keep it in the memory well, I mean, box. Uh, you know, Paizo was successful with its uh, Harrow deck. I don't see why we couldn't do a Tarot deck that's more geared uh, towards gaming. Right. Um, back to Mall Rats, though, which is what we're supposed to be talking about. Oh yes. Watching this movie again, I hadn't seen this movie probably in uh, a decade. But I watched it a lot when I first got my DVD player and as a kid on videotape. I just really liked the cartoony elements of the movie. I love all the Jay and Silent Bob shenanigans where they have the blueprints and they're trying to figure out how to take out the security guard, LaFors. Even though it's such a minor part to the overall plot of the movie, I love uh, Silent Bob dressing up as Batman. I like Oh, the that's st- a great scene. Yeah, I like the stupid joke where they're trying to swing in and knock out the guy and they accidentally crash into the dressing room, and uh, you get to see uh, some tits. Now, it's cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, isn't that the actual Batman sort of grappling glider from the movie? I don't know if it's the actual one. It looks really similar. And along those lines, in that scene, uh, you, the score by Ira Newborn, it plays a very Batman-sounding music theme. Which oh, yeah. I, I thought is really clever. And also later on you have a scene where uh, Savenning is threatening T.S. And the score there sounds two notes off from the Godfather main theme. <laughs> As he says, you need to stay away from my daughter and all this stuff. So I think that's I think the, the score, even though there isn't a whole lot of it in Mallrats, really helps the bounciness of the film. And if anything, I think Mallrats... You have a big divide between all the cartoonish Jane Silent Bob stuff and all the, I guess it's supposed to be semi-serious, like, relationship stuff with um, Brody and T.S. trying to kind of get back with their girlfriends, right? Well, you know, looking looking this movie over again, I, I feel like the movie Kevin Smith really wanted to make was a really, really low-stakes heist movie about Jay and Silent Bob, mm. but... But all this relationship stuff was sort of like sort of added on. It was like, well, actually, no. I think even better. I think Kevin Smith wanted to do this Jane Silent Bob movie, but he also wanted to do a movie about relationships that had some emotional resonance. And yeah. not knowing whether he was going to ever get a chance to make a third film, he decided to make them both as his second film, and that's how we got Mallrats. Oh hi! I was just shoveling more red hot takes into the old hardcore gaming one hundred and one opinion furnace. <clears throat> Shaq Fu has some redeeming qualities. There's a lot of video game podcasts out there, but only HG101 has the code Jones to objectively, definitively, scientifically rank the top games of all time. No, it's definitely pronounced Co Jones. HG101's top games, twice a week, every week, right here on Greenlit. Hey everybody, this is Andrew from Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and we are proud to be the latest addition to the Greenlit Podcast Network. If you're a superhero fan, our show will put your knowledge to the test. Did you know Tim Burton almost made a Batman musical? Or how Superman almost had a love story with his own cousin? That's disgusting. But it's true. We cover it all, mixing clips with commentaries, sketches, and impersonations. So tune in to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, and everywhere you get your podcasts. That's an excellent point, and I was watching some of the documentaries on the DVD I rented from uh, Movie Madness in Portland, Oregon. If you're ever in Portland, I highly recommend you go to Movie Madness. It's a great movie rental store, and with all the movie rental stores going out of business, it's one of the few left in the city. So, pretty cool place. Um, With uh, the documentary on there, Kevin Smith was talking about how 
Yeah, Clerks was an R-rated comedy. He really wanted Mallrats to be an R-rated comedy, and at the time, uh, what it was released through uh, Universal, I believe. There hadn't been an R-rated comedy that did well in the theater, and Mallrats was a flop. It did not do well in the theater, but it wasn't until um, you know, like American Pie, came out in 1999, four years later, that the R-rated comedy really started to take off again. And yet, even though Mallrats is rated R, it doesn't feel like it's rated R. You know what I mean? Like, there might be some language. You see one pair of tits. Or, no, sorry, two pair of tits. Well, it's probably for the nudity and the underage sex tape. That That's probably all that motivates the R rating. But just not explicit. It's not like a... You know, oh, it's not know. like American Pie where you have, like, semen and a cup of beer and a guy drinks it, right? Yeah, but at least the alcohol would have sterilized it. You'd hope so. Depends on the alcohol, I guess. Well, yeah. <laughs> if it's Southern Comfort, if it's uh, Natty Light, or disinfect it in a different way. But we're not talking about alcohol disinfecting semen in a cup. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about mall rats. Yeah, d- don't bother <laughs> trying to clean up your crime scene with, with beer. It will not work. Nope. Um... Another thing with Mallrats, you just have so many characters. And the thing I liked about Clerks is it's real simple. There's not that many characters, but you get to know them. You get humor, but you get to feel a bit for the characters, too, working in this retail store. And the Clerks was about people, they worked retail in a store, in a convenience store. That was their life. But Mallrats, it's about people that go to a mall. They're not employees at the mall. Yeah, you don't get any of that angst. No. And maybe that's some of what's missing from all rats that was in Clerks. Not that these films are, are sequels exactly, but, I mean, they're part of the U.S. universe and that they feature Jay and Silent Bob and uh, some common characters. Uh, what did you think about the climax of the film set at the Truth or Date TV show? Well, it, it has been building to it, and I am glad yeah. to finally see some of this TV show that that uh, that everyone's been talking about, but I, I but it it doesn't leave too big of an impression on me. The thing, the two things that I do like to show up later in the film are the whole deal with the ass pretzels. Yes, um, the stink bomb, right? The, yeah, what they call it stink palming? Uh, something like that. Yeah, where where they 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 get fecal matter on to the pret- chocolatey pretzels and, and feed it to a guy. Which going. inexplicably, when it's shown <laughs> on Comedy Central, it's it, it's dubbed as uh, moldy pretzels. Oh. You, you know, I like that that's set up and I like how that pays off. And then, of course, the, the sex tape gets paid off when they talk to the police officer. Hey, there's a, there's a... We've got video proof that he had sex with an underage girl. But those are the only parts that really that really kind of... Uh, that really kind of impact me. Those are the only parts that I feel are like sort of foreshadowed and pay off. I really like at the end, you have the third person in the game show, Gil Hicks, who presumably is a relative of Dante Hicks, the main character from Clerks. And it's played by the same actor. I believe he is supposed to be. Yes. And it's played by the same actor, Brian O'Halloran. And he just gives the cheesiest responses to the questions in the dating game show. He's like, I want to take you on a walk on a beach and make love to you all night long. I mean, it's the, it's the dorkiest things, and they point that out to him. Well, at least, again, at least they're aware of it. Right. 
And I, I, just, I just think I just get a real kick out of that cheesy humor. And they did a good job of making Brian O'Halloran look different enough from Dante in that he doesn't have the goatee and he has longer hair. It kind of disguises it, so it's a cameo if you know about it. But <laughs> And a part of these Viewisk Universe films is they're somewhat related to each other in, in loose ways. Take place in the same View Askew universe, as it's called, because Kevin Smith's production company is called View Askew. So we mentioned Gil Hicks just now. Okay. Also, in uh, in Clerks, the character of uh, Randall talks about he has a cousin, Walter, that, um, what is it, he almost broke his neck from giving himself a blowjob? Something like that. It's something like that, right? And then in Mallrats, the character of Brody, that's uh, played by Jason Lee, of course, talks about that in the beginning he has a monologue about he has a cousin, Walter, that kept on shoving cats up his ass to get a gerbil that was stuck in there. So somehow they are related. But that's not something you would know unless you're really paying attention. It's really the characters of Jay and Silent Bob that link these movies together in what I think still is a fairly tenuous way. Do you think that's fair? Huh? Again, I feel I, as I've said before, I feel like they're R two D two and C three PO. They're yeah. characters that link all the movies together, but they're not necess- but they're not always core to the experience of the movie. Uh, but you know, that being said, you know, I I do I do like one thing I do really like about Kevin Smith as a filmmaker is that he doesn't make sequels. He just tells stories that are in- interconnected in different ways. Well, he made Clerks too. Okay, yeah, then he did then he did that sequel. But up, up Wait, which we'll get to point, in this coverage of the Viewisk universe. Yeah, up up until that point, they were all just sort of stories of, of yep. this, these sort of loosely interconnected stories. And I do kind of like that. I do respect that world building and I think that carries over from his his work in comic books. There is so much pressure to create an internal consistent comic book universe within any of the larger comic book publishing companies that I think that just rubbed off on the way he was making films at the time. Oh, and that's worth mentioning, too, is I don't think it happened until, like, uh, after Mallrats and stuff, but writer, director, actor Kevin Smith later got involved in, in writing a bunch of comic books. Uh, he did a run on Daredevil. He did a run on Batman. Um, he did a run on uh, Green Arrow. His or, Green Arrow is supposed to be pretty good. I've heard that. I haven't read it. I did get a chance to read some of his uh, Batman... One of his Batman comics is called Batman the Widening uh, Gyre. And it's really, um, yeah, really interesting. And, and really neat artwork in there, too. Uh, and also, you know, he has a show. I mean, he owns a, a comic book store in, in uh, New Jersey called uh, Jane Silent Bob's Secret Stash. Oh, yeah, I've always wanted to go there. That would be a fun road trip. But I know I'm in Portland. You're in Kentucky. <laughs> well, you, you never know. Something something might happen, and we'll have to visit uh, Jersey Jason in Jersey while he's there, and we can all just uh, we can all just hang around. It's not a bad idea for 2013. I'll have to sit on that. That's that could be something. Hmm. Okay, that's personal business. Back to... <laughs> <laughs> a little too personal, Matthew. Yes, uh, William. Yes, William Thrasher. Yes. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, my. So another connection, I was doing some research between Clerks and Mallrats, 
In Clerks, Dante and Randall go to a funeral for Julie Dwyer. Oh, yeah. And in the beginning of Mallrats, there's a big monologue where they explain how Julie Dwyer died and that she was supposed to be on this truth or date show. And uh, she was a bit, she heard the camera adds 10 pounds to you, so she swam like crazy and ended up dying of a, of a embolism, like a stroke or something, while she was swimming. And that's why she died. And because of that, that's why Brandy, T.S.'s girlfriend, has to replace her on Truth or Date. <laughs> you know, that's a, a bit of interconnectedness I never caught before. You really, I think it's the interconnectedness, you really have to look on the internet to, because I don't think, unless you super pay attention to every line of dialogues in this movie, you'd catch that. Like, I never caught that before researching this for this episode of the sequel cast on Mallrats. But I think that's a pretty interesting point. And at one point, Kevin Smith was even considering writing a comic book called Mallrats 2 Die Hard in a Mall. <laughs> I, uh, I think I'd pay to read that. Yeah, and what the plot was supposed to be was about the character of Hamilton, played by Ben Affleck, who we barely even covered. But Ben Affleck plays a minor part in Mallrats, who he's a manager of a clothing store, but he's also dating um, Renee after she breaks up with Brody. And he's basically an asshole that kind of beats up people. He gets arrested at the end. In the uh, plot for the planned comic book, which hasn't come to pass yet, uh, for Mallrats 2, Die Hard in a Mall... I, uh, from the research I, I did, uh, uh, the Ben Affleck character is supposed to break out of jail, take uh, the the female heroines from Mallrats hostage in the mall, and Brody and T.S. had to team up and rescue their girlfriends from the mall. Interesting. So um, maybe that'll happen as a comic book in the future or as a cartoon or something. I don't really know, but... And, and as they were filming Mallrats, uh, he was also planning other stuff for Mallrats too. But then, since Mallrats didn't do well, they didn't make a sequel to it as a movie. So, so with that, I think we've talked a lot about uh, Mallrats, Kevin Smith's uh, second uh, feature film. Would you recommend well, I, it? Oh, go on. Um, actually, I did have one thing I did want yeah. to, to to bring up. Uh, well, I guess I guess two things. That, you know, another thing that, that runs, you know, runs through a lot of Kevin Smith movies. In the first, and Clerks, we had the discussion of uh, of government contractors and civilian employees on the Death Star, and then in this film, you know, we have the discussion with Stan Lee about the the uh, the reproduction habits of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and, and I do I do like that these because here because here's the deal. Uh, I can't speak for everyone, but I know for a fact that those kind of discussions happen in real life uh, <laughs> with great uh, regularity yeah. uh, in amongst the nerd, geek, and fandom community. And I do like that they have a place in these movies. I, I like that that we get to see these uh, these moments. And I'm sure that having Stan Lee in this film made a lot of people wonder whether his explanation for the thing's cock is uh, now official canon because it's from the mouth of Stan the Man Lee. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and I, how do you feel about those those sort of like nerd argument moments? I think they really work in this movie. I mean, it is kind of out of nowhere. And if you don't know the comic characters they're talking about, you're bound to be confused. But there's such a warmth to uh, the way the dialogue is written. Even the way Stan Lee acts those scenes isn't so bad. It gets the point across. Well, I think he's just being himself. And he is a showman. 
Uh, but he's given something to do, like you said. It's not like in all the Marvel movies where Stan Lee just winks at the camera or or, or, or says some, like, quip and walks off. It It's an actual full scene with a beginning, middle, and end he has to play with uh, Brody, played by Jason Lee, and it, it works. I think it works. It's funny. It's stuff, like you said, that geeks have argued about. And... um it's not like he makes a... He doesn't make much of a cam... I guess he does appear at the very end of the film going by the magic eyepiece and saying, oh, it's a sailboat. It's a sailboat, yeah. Yeah, but he kind of comes in and goes out. He doesn't overstay his welcome. And originally, apparently, it was scripted not as Stan Lee, just as someone like Stan Lee using all these fake comic book names, but someone on the movie knew someone that knew Stan Lee and they got him to do it. And I think that adds so much to it. Oh yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I wish, I wish this kind of thing would happen more often. But as far as I know, the only other movie where Stanley was really given something to do like this was in the uh, low-budget uh, thriller *The Ambulance*. Oh, okay. I've never seen that. It's it's interesting. It, it, it's it's this kind of conspiracy thriller. People are being a people are like people are like you know the the short the short of the plot is that these uh, is that there's a fake ambulance that's been responding to medical emergencies, picking people up, and then they're never seen or heard from again. And eventually it happens to this guy's girlfriend. The guy just happens, just so happens to be a comic book artist, and Stan Lee plays his boss. And Hmm. it's Stan Lee being Stan Lee. Although, oh my gosh, there is a, there's a move, there's a movie before the ambulance where Stan Lee has something to do. It's a uh, low budget, a vampire movie called Jugular Wine, which is actually really fun. Stan Lee plays uh, Mr. Lee, uh, and he's uh, like an editor. Uh, well, it's, it's unclear what he does, whether he's an editor or if he's like a higher up at a university. But the short of it is he, again, plays the main guy's boss. And what's interesting is that, and he has a lot to do in the movie, he has two big scenes. But what else is interesting uh, is that in Jugular Wine, Frank Miller plays Stan Lee's assistant. Huh. Oh, and it has the best line of just the perfect, like, J. Jonah Jameson moment where Stan Lee just, like, slams his fist down on the desk. This is bullshit, Harvey! Hmm. And he looks like he means it. Well, you know, Stan Lee in interviews always said if he had, be young, if he had been young enough at the time, he would have loved to play the part of J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man oh, no. movie. Totally. Actually, I've got a... Uh... I picked up. I think it's volume. I need to. Re- I I bought a bunch of of graphic novels and collections recently, so I, I can't keep them straight in my head. It's either volume five of the collected Fantastic Four, or it's the uh, Jack Kirby's Galactic Bounty Hunters graphic novel. But it's got in there uh, a piece from the old Marvel bullpit where it's it's photos of the entire Marvel editorial staff. And this was like back in the 70s, uh, the early 70s, I think, when these photos were taken. And damned if Stan Lee doesn't look exactly like classic J. Jonah Jameson. Hmm. So um, anything else you want to talk about, Mallrats? Oh, actually, yeah. What do you, how do you feel about... Um, Every Jedi power being bundled into the Jedi mind trick. Ah, jeez. Yeah, so the character of Silent Bob um, loves Star Wars and is trying to 
I guess, is convinced that he can use the Force to move things around. And he only does at the end just because of uh, gravity. Uh, getting the videotape of the sex tape to play on the big screen at the end. Oh, yeah. And as a kid, I, I loved it because I loved Star Wars. I still like Star Wars, just not as much as when I was younger. And now it just struck me as really, I don't know, like cheesy. Kind of, I, I object I object to levitation and telekinesis being called the Jedi mind trick. That's yeah. movement of the force. The Jedi mind trick is when you in, influence. influence the weak willed. Yep, because it right. affects the mind. That's what makes it a mind trick. That's I would point. expect Mr. Smith, I would expect better from you. <clears throat> okay. So uh with mall rats, I think <laughs> I uh gee, I'm not sure if I'd recommend it. I I give it a very uh, mild recommend, but I, I think Clerks is a far better film, I guess, in comparison. Yeah, I guess I'd, it, I'd say it has some funny moments, but yeah, I guess I'd say see Chasing Amy or Dogma first, and yeah, then go back definitely. to see Mallrats to see how uh, Kevin Smith's directing style evolved. Yeah, I think it's one of the lesser Kevin Smith films, but it's certainly not one of the worst movies ever made. Oh no, not at all. Yeah, and has it has its moments. Um. I've seen the Asylum Sherlock Holmes film. Have you? Yeah. Was it good? No, it's one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> I see, okay. And I just ruined the joke. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so now we're going to move into our sequel cast segment, uh, Pitch a Sequel, in which we pretend... Uh, I guess we're going to pitch our own sequel to Mallrats. This is so weird with the, the Viewers Universe stuff we're covering. But uh, I will start with a pitch to Mallrats. I think uh, with the the sequel to Mallrats, how do you outdo Mallrats? You set it in a uh, a, a brand new mall. Svenning opens, and it somehow gets the money to open a brand new mall in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So we have a mall that's like part mall, part casino, part hotel. It's like a Donald Trump sort of thing, and somehow. TJ and, uh, or sorry, TS and Brody get go to Las Vegas, happen to be booked at this hotel, casino, mall conglomerate thing in Las Vegas. And they're like, oh no, Svenning's here. He still hates us. So they have to think of a way to kind of rub it in Svenning's face again. They're still mad at uh, him for all the grief they caused in the original Mallrats. So, similar kind of slapstick action. On a bigger scale, and also it would be a kind of commentary on uh, the extreme consumerism of Las Vegas, which I visited recently for my first time. So, and I, I would call it uh, Casino Rats, I guess. <laughs> it's my terrible, terrible title. Thrasher, what's your pitch of sequel? All right, my uh, my pitch is sequel. The main character would be the uh, the high school girl who's uh, who is writing the book on the male orgasm. Only uh, it's now after she's graduated, and she now uh, is on the verge of getting a huge book deal and a movie deal for this book. It's going to come out, and everybody thinks it's just going to be the hottest thing ever. It's going to be huge, uh, and so. Uh, and, and so to, to celebrate, uh, and it just so happens that the book is going to come out the same day she officially turns 18 and is legal. So there's going to be a huge party slash orgy. Well, here's here's the deal. Jay and Silent Bob get involved. 
uh, because like it becomes kind of farcical because they, through a series of accidents, end up becoming her literary agent, which is great for Jay, uh, co-literary agents, which is great for Jay because it turns out Jay's one of the guys that she had sex with and got on videotape. Now, but here, here's the deal. Silent Bob wants to get that tape back so that Jay isn't arrested for having sex with a minor. Jay wants... It doesn't even occur to Jay that that might be a problem. Jay wants that tape because he wants to be able to masturbate to it and also show off to his friends that he had sex with America's hottest young author. Hmm. And we'll call it... uh, And there'll be some drinking and part of it will take place in Britain, which is why it's going to be called Mall Radass. Very mall right ass, very good. Mall right ass, yes. It's uh, two different takes on a possible, you know, pitching sequels to Mallrats. So we'll move on to our closing segment on the sequel cast called "What You're Watching," in which we discuss a piece of media, whether it be film, uh, music, video game, book, whatever that we've been reading. Uh, I will start. I've been reading a book called um, "The Final Cut." Cut Harder is the sequel to that. It's not called Cut Harder, but... um, (laughs) And what it is, it is a book. uh, The full title is called Final Cut, Art, Money, and Ego in the Making of Heaven's Gate, the film that sank United Artist. It's written by Stephen Bach, who was was a senior vice president and head of worldwide productions at the time for United Artist. And uh, Heaven's Gate was a film directed by Michael Cimino. Admittedly, I haven't seen the movie the book is about. But this is a a movie that infamously went so crazily over budget that it bankrupted United Artist. Yeah, I've I've heard stories about that. I really need to get out of my way and see this movie. And it's coming out, uh, I believe, uh, later this year on Blu-ray as part of the Criterion Collection, Heaven's Gate. But this book is really detailed. I am about 250 pages into it. It's not even till page 200 where they get to the start of production on the film Heaven's Gate. They go into such detail about what other movies the studio is producing at the time. Uh, a new way was involved in production of stuff at the time, like the James Bond film Moonraker. Oh, yeah. And um, Rocky Two, and uh, Manhattan, uh, directed by Woody Allen, one of his best. And so you get a lot of behind-the-scenes of scenes of not just Heaven's Gate, but of how the studio worked as a whole in exquisite detail. And uh, a lot of people could find it boring, but I, I just found it really, uh, really fascinating. And it, I really need to sort of take a pause in the book and watch this movie before I go any further, because otherwise I think I'll get confused. Uh, what's something you've been watching, Thrasher? Well, actually, the I've recently started watching, uh, when I take my lunch break every day for my freelancing, I've been watching the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret, and it is just the perfect synthesis of the kind of American comedy I like and the kind of British comedy I like. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I've only seen the first season, which is on Netflix Watch Instantly in the, in the U.S. Um, I think... Yeah, you get, you know, some of the slapstick and you get a lot of the, I guess I'd describe it like awkward pauses, like awkward silence of people staring at someone 
they're they're willing to use silence uh, yes. as its own joke, <laughs> which, which is is something I love. I love it. I I guess I think what it comes with is is because in many ways that's the most realistic response to some of the crazy bullshit that that uh, that Todd Margaret does, and because that response is so real, it's hilarious in the context of a comedy. It creates a void we fill with laughter. Yeah, no, I, I'd recommend it too. Um, I tried to watch it with my wife, and she just got very upset with uh, how awkward everything was. It was too much for her. It was too <laughs> stressful. Well, I, I could see that uh, as a possible response. Yeah. So, uh, what's something? Uh, I guess I'll. You have time for one more of these, Thrasher? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, great. Um, something else I've been watching it was a. I rented a movie, and I wasn't expecting much of it, and it was not a sequel, so that made it a rarity for me. It was a a movie that came out in 2011 called, it has a title that gets me so confused, uh, called Martha Marcy May Marlene, hmm. written and directed by Sean Dark, Durkin and starring Elizabeth Olsen, who is a sister of the Olsen twins. But uh, despite that, it's about a, uh, a character uh, named Martha who kind of goes by multiple names in the movie, who, when she's younger, she's part of a cult kind of out in the country that's kind of like a, a, a commune, kind of dangerous hippie sort of sort of violent thing. And uh, she's in the cult. She kind of disappears from her family for two years. And then she kind of escapes from the cult and lives with her sister for a few months. And it's about her trying to uh, get back into normal society uh, from living in this sort of uh, anything-goes a cult environment, and it kind of goes between the two, and it's uh, it's kind of confusing. It's intentionally vague, but I thought the acting was really good, and it had a few scenes I found really disturbing. Uh, in particular, um, I really get upset in movies where it's like normal people are in their house, and then someone breaks in and and kills them, but like not in a slasher movie, like a like a robbery of a house or something. I find those scenes really disturbing because they seem plausible and uh, there was a scene like that in Martha Marcy May Marlene that really got to me that had me thinking about it for a few days that's pretty cool yeah it's uh came out in 2011 is there something else you've been watching Thrasher well the Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing I've, I've really been watching aside from what I've discussed or, or even reading because I, s- since getting back from Gen Con, my re- reading has just been in a shambles because there's rules material I've now got to, fam- I've got to take time familiarizing myself with so that I can write for it and, and do, you know, things like that. Um, and I just, I've been going to bed so exhausted, I've barely had any time to read. Although what I have been doing uh, is listening to uh, the BMF cast, the Banff cast, the Bad Movie Fiends. It's a, it's another movie podcast that I've really gotten into. They they review the kind of cheesy movies that I really delight in. Listen to us, but then listen to them. But listen what? to them, but listen to us. So what is something they've covered recently? Well, most recently, they well they've covered the the Death Stalker movies. Uh, they've uh, covered uh, Vicious Lips. Uh, they're they've covered um, oh hell what was it uh, they've they've covered a lot of the the David Sedaris uh, 
or is it Andy Sedaris? Andy Sedaris. They've covered a lot of the Andy Sedaris uh, movies, the you know, the Lethal Force, Return to Savage Beach, that kind of thing. And they have a fascinating rating system. Uh, a movie is given a rating uh, if it's if they want to give it a positive rating, they give it one to five jocks, as in robot jocks. That being their st- <laughs> robot jocks being their standard of excellence. Okay. And if they want to give a negative rating, they give it bags, as in douche bags, as in uh, the main character from Twilight. Hmm. And their their other rule is you have to give it something. You can't be neutral on a movie. But it's been really good. It's it's uh, it's the if I was to break off and do my own B movie podcast, it would probably be a lot like that. Although that being said, sequel cast. Sure, sequel cast. That looks like you can check out the Banff podcast, which you were talking about. Yep. Right? At at uh, mikelaff.podbean.com. So, M-I-K-E-L-A-F-F.podbean.com. You can also go to bmfcast.com as well. And their most their most recent episode about, uh, about the Max Magician and the Legend of the Rings, fucking hilarious. I'm sorry, I, you know, I, I gave out their website to a different podcast. Yeah, go go to BMFcast. BMFcast, that's the right one for bad but, movie yeah, change. Yeah, definitely check out their, their most recent episode. That that I, I I so some of these movies have sequels, Matt. We really ought to tackle some of these B movies. We haven't done a good B movie series in a while. Yeah, I think it's a it's a long time coming. We've had some uh, long running series talking about Viewers Universe for the next few weeks, you know, and then uh, the Muppets before that. So we need to do some short and painful ones. I think <laughs> that's the way it goes. Short and curlies, as they say. Um, very good. So uh, next week on the sequel cast, we'll be covering uh, the next film in the Kevin Smith uh, Buick universe, Chasing Amy, starring uh, Ben Affleck and Joey Lauren Adams. So uh, you can check that out on uh, at sequelcast.com, or you can also uh, check us out at facebook.com slash sequelcast. We have a lot of really neat conversations going on there as well. And uh, if you look us up on iTunes and search SequelCast, uh, you want to leave us a review, that'd be great, too. And you can listen to our other shows, such as Sequel Commentary and SequelCast Specials. So, uh, for the check sequel... Out our, uh, check out our most recent Sequel Commentary, Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yep, very good. You can find that at SequelCast.com. Uh, so, for the SequelCast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying... You tell him, Steve Dave. You tell him. Suzanne, you're all that I want.